Hello, Merry Christmas and welcome to Behind the Pross. It's a theatre podcast all about the real lives of the people who make it. If I have got this all out on time, it's Christmas Eve, so Merry Christmas to everybody and I know it's been an interesting year, but um, this is a perfect way uh, to finish it off and I hope this gets you in the festive mood. I'm joined by three incredible creative people who I had the pleasure two years ago of uh, working on uh, pantomime with at the Wyvern Theatre in Swindon. We did Aladdin together and um, we thought uh, now was a perfect time to have a little bit of a chat, seen as pantomime's maybe not quite what it normally is this year and we're having a slightly different festive Christmas as people working in theatre. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to introduce Rosanna Harris, Adam Bailey and Catherine Hare. Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas! Ding dong merrily on high! <laughs> yes, yes indeed. It's, um, what a weird one. What a weird year it's been. Rosanna, how are you coping? How has uh, 2020 been for you? Um, definitely weird. My coping mechanism is usually just to keep as busy as possible. If I'm busy, then I don't have time to sit around and think about what I'm not doing that I want to do. So I just keep myself really busy and I feel like this year's just like flown by which I know is weird but it just seems like February was yesterday even though so much rubbish has happened in one year it just seems like it's gone so fast and I can't believe it's nearly 2021 already which is just bizarre because nothing's really happened this year yeah. <laughs> that's good I mean <laughs> I mean we've, we've had to throw it all out haven't we Adam you know we we talked before we came on the podcast and uh, you said you know you were you were in a show in um, in March of 2020. How has has it been a whirlwind since then, or has it felt like the longest time ever? Oh, guys, remember shows? Um, <laughs> um, yes, I was in the Book of Mormon in March, and I had a call on Monday the 16th. I think it was. I had a call from my resident uh, choreographer. And when you get that call, you kind of go, oh, God, what's this going to be? And he said, right, there's four people off. So you're definitely going to be playing like one of your lower swing tracks today. Um, and I was like, OK, great. I was just about to walk into the cinema. I was like, I'll come in a bit early. We'll go through some stuff. He rang me back five minutes later and he said, three more people have just gone off. You need to play two Mormons. And I was like, OK. Oh, so I was going to be playing my fifth cover and my third cover. One of them I'd never done. And... I, uh, so we got into the theatre a bit early and I was teaching our um, standby Cunningham to do like a Mormon track for Hello and 2x2, two two, our first two numbers. And then we went down to stage and there was no music playing for warm up and I was kind of looking around going, this is really weird. And uh, our company manager came on stage and said, um, the show's not going ahead tonight, uh, go home and I hope I'll see you soon. And we were like, what? <laughs> you hope you'll see us soon you'll see us like really soon we'll be back in a couple of weeks um we didn't even take stuff from our dressing rooms we just kind of were like oh you know lovely two weeks off have a rest bring that larynx back down and then uh haven't been back since (laughs) and is everything still in your dressing room it's just you've not been able to go and pick it up or no way listen there's milk in that fridge (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what a nightmare. Yeah. What Hell a nightmare. Yeah. Now, uh, Kat, um, it's... Yeah, everything's there. You are... Still there. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Kat, you are an, 
a very busy creative, somebody who, you know, I bet there's things always going on, even now with family life often being taking over it all. What's it been like kind of having to uh, refocus since March? Um, do you know what? It was such a, it's such a weird year because actually last year I took essentially a year out because I became a mum for the first time. And so I, hadn't, I, I haven't actually really worked um, since, uh, well, since I worked with you guys no in Swindon way. because I was really heavily pregnant. And then, um, and obviously at that time I was working on Bat Out of Hell as well. And then um, I then got, uh, had a year out to have a baby. <laughs> And then came back at the beginning of this year saying, you know, I wanted a little bit of a break from um, from being a resident or an associate unless something amazing came along. And then in February, something amazing came along <laughs> and I was offered um, international associate director on Tina the Musical. Oh, and no. I did you not know that? No. <laughs> yeah. Surprise. So I was due this year. I was due to go and open shows in Madrid and Hamburg and Stuttgart and work with the team in Utrecht. And and so I went in in February to learn the show from the creative team in London. And I got to know all the cast there really well. And we spent a few weeks in rehearsal. And at the same time, I was also working on casting. We were due to take Sunny Afternoon out on the tour, Mm -hmm. which, as you know, I've been... um, associate on uh i mean since six months into its first west end contract so we were due to take that one we literally cast it as the as the pandemic was starting so we all started wearing not wearing masks by then were we no but we were all hand sanitizing and, and we literally finished casting it and then i worked with the team and then i went back into tech for tina in london to watch it being tech to learn the show and we got to our final dress rehearsal and the, we were just about to go on stage for the final dress rehearsal and we were all summoned to the office and the creative team were told that we had been told that theatre should shut. And we didn't know whether that meant we could do a rehearsal or not, because obviously mm. we weren't performing that night. We actually had, a, there was a night off from Tina in, in the West End in order for us to do a, a proper dress run on stage. And then, um, yeah, then we all had a massive meeting on, I've, I've never seen anything like it. The whole company on stage, um, wigs, um, you know, all the crew, all the band, um, the whole cast there. And our producer comes in and says, look, you need to make a call. And the call was made that we wouldn't go ahead. And everyone was told to clear their dressing rooms. And we, like, they don't have milk, just like, oh, they were given the opportunity to take all their milk away. <laughs> and, um, and so that poor cast that had worked for six weeks, who were due to open the following night, never got to do one performance. <sighs> and so we were all sent home. And then, uh, and so obviously I'd started this job and then and it was like a career like defining. <laughs> I'm going to go off and be like international. I'm going to do Tina around the world. And um, and then I got this little glimmer of hope in my September, October, where I, we did actually get to go to Utrecht to do a COVID friendly version of the show. Yeah. And we reblocked the whole thing because in, in the Netherlands, the rules were different. So you could um, be next to each other as long as they were testing and as long as you were only uh, acting or dancing. But if you're singing, you had to be a metre and a half apart. So basically, whenever we got to the singing bits, we just... Um, move people around um but actually the show sort of lent itself to it and we found this beautiful version of the show that worked and also didn't damage the show it was just this really beautiful and then 
<laughs> we went into second. Sorry, I just banged the table out of frustration. Um, <laughs> it's a sound effect. I <laughs> we like went, it. Um, we essentially then the Netherlands. We arrived on the Monday. We were there for supposed to be there for three weeks, and we got told that day that the rules had changed in the Netherlands, and that anyone coming in from that point onwards would have to quarantine, which meant our entire production team who were coming out to to, to retech the show couldn't come out. Yeah. We managed two weeks of rehearsals with the most phenomenally talented group of individuals. And then we got shut down and sent home and the show never opened. <laughs> so we're still, so I'm going to look at a really busy 2021 where we're opening Tina in every, <laughs> every territory. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it was, sorry, that was a very long winded story, but um, yeah, it's been really bonkers to have this kind of like, amazing new opportunity that was completely new for me to work in lots of and and obviously because it's a stage entertainment production it's all in foreign languages so I was mm. going to be working in with a German yeah. script a Spanish script a Dutch script something completely new for me and I've managed to do none of it it's a new job in March haven't done pretty much a day where I've done like you know some planning and gone to a few rehearsals but I can't wait to get started and I don't know when it's going to happen absolutely I, th- I think it's I think a lot of us have felt that for me weirdly it's kind of felt like the longest year in living history but also it feels like a bit of a blur so it, 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 there's kind of moments and it's weird when you were talking about kind of like august and you think about the difference and the the kind of positivity we had going forward um and that there was potential for even things like panto which fortunately in some parts of the country at least got started um but at the time of recording it kind of a lot of them have then just had to shut again and it, it, it kind of it's weird because uh, this this christmas is the first time in 10 years i've not done a show at christmas so like the driving home for christmas and and, and you know all the traditions that we have even with things like secret santa you know on on christmas eve at the theater i always think back to you guys with that and and you know, the, those little traditions coming back early on a Boxing Day morning, you know, it, I, I like those things. They're, they're big moments, big festive things for me. So it's kind of, um, it's very strange uh, not, to be, not to be working at Christmas. So I guess the, the question now to ask is, is um, instead of working at Christmas, what, what, is, uh, what are the pluses that we are finding from uh, having a Christmas off this year? I'll start with uh, Rosanna. Um, I guess normally this time of year when I would normally be doing a panto or show of some sort, it's always a little bit of a rush home for Christmas. And especially for me, like, oh, OK, I've got to spend I've only got Christmas Day off. So I've got to spend the first half of the day with my mum's side of the family and then rush to my dad and spend the second half with my dad and his family that side and this is the first year actually where I can have a proper Christmas day and a proper boxing day probably since I graduated so I guess that's kind of a nice thing that I can actually have a relaxing Christmas with family and not have to worry about rushing back anywhere and who I'm going to see for the Christmas meal and who I'm going to see Christmas night and who's going to get me on boxing day the lucky side of the family Um, (laughs) So I guess that's one thing that there's no stress, but I guess for me as well, I do like having everyone and it's just going to be a really small Christmas this year, but definitely have been able to see family more this time of year than I normally would have. So can appreciate it from, that's one positive, I guess, isn't it? Absolutely. How about you, Adam? Well, I'm the same as you. It's been 10 years since I have not worked around Christmas. Um, So naively I was really excited for this one 
kind of thinking, oh, like I'll really get, like I'll get two whole weeks at home because I'm working as a, a TA in a school at the moment. Amazing. So I have two full weeks off and I was like, right, I'll go back to Wales. I'll have two full weeks with my family. But obviously we can't do that. No. Um, and the rules for Wales changed again two days ago. So now we're only meant to have two households mixing on Christmas, which is very difficult with a broken family. And we all live in different places all over the country. Um, my brother is also not well, so we have to be really careful around him. So it's just going to be a very um, unique Christmas, but I'm still going to see people. I won't see everyone, but I'll see, you know, family and uh, I'm still looking forward to that because, as I say, like it's it's so rare to not be full and belting your tits off on Boxing Day, you know? <laughs> would you say, Kat, for uh, for this year, would you say this is the first proper Christmas for your son? Or was is this kind of a little bit more excitement this year? Uh, do you know what? It's a really weird one. I, he's not quite at the stage, because he's only 21 months. Wow. So he's not quite at the stage where he understands what Christmas is. But there's certain traditions that we've already put in place. Like, um, I mean you won't be able to see it on a podcast, but you guys can see it. That behind me, I've got the most fantastic Ooh. advent calendar lorry thing. Oh. 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 And he opens it every morning and he gets really, he now is into the routine of like, open lorry. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know, so he get and, and I have to say like, ordinary, it's, it's slightly different for me as a creative. Um, I hate using that word because it's like, you guys aren't creative. In some way. <laughs> uh, but you know what I mean? Like as a director, it's slightly different because I, and I remember the years as a as a performer. I did several pantos as a performer and a resident, which was difficult but brilliant. And obviously, you're rushing back on Boxing Day, and you don't have that time. And as a as a director, you do we do we always tend to have like a little rotor amongst the the creative team to make sure that you know because we don't want to ever abandon your your actors and make them feel like they're not being looked after and that we're all just having a two week jolly. Um, <laughs> so it, it is different this year because ordinarily other than last year obviously because I was not working um but it is different not to be able to go in over the Christmas period and, and yeah like you say do the secret Santas and see everybody and you know you all have days where everyone dresses up over Christmas and brings it Christmas jumper day and all of those things that are just these really wonderful traditions and I guess I I do I do miss going I mean but I just I just miss going into theatres generally you know mm. um and so, but I'm lucky. My my son is at a wonderful age where I get to sort of experience Christmas from a childlike perspective, and so that definitely takes the edge off the 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 lack of work is the, is having someone to focus on in that way. Yeah, absolutely. Sticking with you, Kat, what is it that you uh, you love about pantomime? Uh, this is something that I kind of. Uh, I, I have quite a few people who listen in the US and um, it's not something that they... Check you! I know. I'll just drop that there for you. Yeah. Hello, California. We picked it up for you. Don't worry. But um, you see, it's good to have friends like this, isn't it? You can just pick me up on all this rubbish. Um, yeah, tell me, tell me about what you love about pantomime. Do you know what? I'm um, a slightly weird example in that I came to Panto really, really late. We right. just didn't go to Panto. I didn't go to Pantos as a child, um, partly because I lived on a farm in the middle of nowhere and it just wasn't part <laughs> of our consciousness. Um, and so I didn't really come to Panto, I guess, until I started. Uh, I performed with a, a local, like, ish a local ish group by the time i was about 14 or 15 my first panto outing was as john darling you'll be oh yes <laughs> you'll love oh, that winner. 
I had an epically brilliant night shirt and top hat. Um, and my dad played um, keys for a local panto company for, I think he did 20 years. Wow. And so, every, so panto became for me about going to see my dad play the music. And um, my dad will never forgive me if he listens to this, but um, he, and also <laughs> the build up to panto would be that, because my dad is a brilliant keyboard player, but he can't read music at all. So, and they'd be giving him loads of pop, like current pop songs that he, perhaps he wasn't as aware of as he, he might be. So he would often sort of come to me and we'd work out the chords together. And so that was like part of my early panto experience was enjoying it through the eyes of my dad, who was so proud of these productions. And then I, and actually the first panto I directed in my own right was the panto I directed with you guys. I don't no even way. Know that. I'd, I'd assisted and residented and associated on several but the first one I'd done in my own right was with you and I think the thing I love the most is and don't take this offensively but I'm not watching you guys at all I'm watching the audience <laughs> <laughs> I mean after you know I've given you some obligatory notes um because the thing you you love is watching that joy on small children's faces where and it uh, and they all are uh, they all attach to a different character. So some people will be like, oh, I love, in this case, Princess Jasmine, or I love Aladdin, or I love Wishy Washy. Um, but they'll all take away something remarkable from it. And for most children, I think it's their first introduction to theatre. Yeah. And it's so, so vital and it's so important, not also forgetting the fact that it's vital to the theatre community as a whole. Because for a lot of, especially regional theatres, it's their it's how they survive. It subsidizes the rest of the year. Oh yeah. I mean, I used to work on the Newbury Panto and they've just been shut down this week and for, you know, Claire Plested and Adam Brown who've done a brilliant job of writing and directing um, the show this year. They have done this fantastic job and all of a sudden it's been shut down again. And the Corn Exchange in Newbury, uh, you know, are all of a sudden without essentially what is their massive cash injection for the whole year and so therefore can't afford to do other things later. You know, it's got such a knock-on effect and I don't think a lot of people realise that. It's it's really crucial to the fabric of, of British theatre. Mm. Sorry, I went off on a slight rant there. <laughs> no, it's good. Go when on, we Jenna. were doing Aladdin, I remember they were advertising for next year's Sleeping Beauty and I was like, hang on a second, let us have our run first. <laughs> no, like they sell out that production yeah. while doing ours. They sell out the next year. Yeah. And it's like, hold on a second, who's that? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And I think and it's... For a lot of families, for a lot of families it's because theatre is expensive to go to because, mm. it, you know, not because it's overpriced, but because it's really expensive to put it on. <laughs> um, and so for a lot of families, I think, they save up all year to go to the panto. It's it's absolutely crucial. Um, I, I think so it's, it's also it's devastating. You know, a testament to to theatres like the Wyvern. They have. I, I think I want to place on record before we carry on, just what an amazing family they are as a theatre community there, and the way that they welcomed all of us in. And you know, oh, I had a lovely time. Oh, it was such a lovely, yeah. lovely experience from start to finish. Apart yeah. from you three, I mean. Oh please. <laughs> We're, we're prima donnas, I must you, admit. You were my favourites, guys. Oh, no one else you would say that. To this, right? <laughs> no, no one else would listen to this. Just the Americans. <laughs> yeah, the Americans are fine. They're I mean, <laughs> Yeehaw. I mean, Kat, you were talking about watching the kids. Sometimes um, 
I also look at the parents who are looking at the kids as well. Yeah. And it's that kind of, this lovely kind of bonding moment that that Panto brings. Um, Adam, is, is Panto something that you've always been involved in or is this something that you came to later on? Um, I guess I came to it slightly later on. I wasn't, it wasn't like a family tradition of ours to go and see the Panto, which is crazy because Cardiff has some brilliant pantomime uh the new theater and yeah it was uh i've probably seen one as a child but that was not my introduction to theater i was slightly different because i was the oddball from my family who loved theater and i don't even know how that happened but it happened <laughs> um but i did my first pantomime in my second year of lanes for daryl who is the producer for yeah. Our lovely pantomime. Um, so I did one in Chelmsford for her, and then I worked for her again as Prince Charming at the Wyvern in my third year of college. And it was just like a, it was a little gig that we were allowed to do as students that would get us a bit of cash flow. Because I mean, I worked three jobs at college, so it was like anything I could be performing and making money, great. Um, so I did those two for Daryl. I was then booked to do the following year, and. I think it was about two months before we started rehearsals. I had auditioned for Chicago at Leicester Cove and did one round, never heard anything back. So obviously you kind of go, oh, okay, that's gone away. But then I was on a train somewhere and my agent calls me and he goes, um, you've just been offered Mary Sunshine in Chicago, Leicester Cove. And I was like, I didn't even sing Mary's son. like I didn't read any script like I I literally went in they hadn't sent me the correct material so I ended up singing my own song did one round never heard back and then maybe two months later they rang me and they were like by the way you've got this job so I rang Daryl and I was like I'm so sorry I can't do it she was great she's always wonderful like that she's like releasing people from contracts um and then the next one I did was this one with you lovely lot nice very nice you should actually point out like the, that's the other thing that you bring up brilliantly there and and daryl especially she's so good at nurturing young talent and for a lot of graduates panto is actually their first contract just because of where it lies in the year mm. because when you graduate obviously you graduate around june july time but you normally get released from your for a lot of drama schools you get a you're allowed to work from from march ish time and that's sort of when the panto auditions start happening so for a lot of pe for young people not having panto this year, I mean, not having training, I don't even know how drama schools are coping. Um, but there's a whole, because it, it's a young person, I mean, <laughs> it is a sort of young person's game in lots of ways, panto, like for the ensemble. And so there's so many graduates that won't get that first really important and crucial experience because it's such a good training ground doing panto. Absolutely. That many um, shows. That many shows. Yeah. I mean, there's some pantos that do three shows a day for mm. like three months. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Also, there's also a lot of people like I kind of grew up doing a lot of amateur dramatics. So you kind of you learn a lot of stuff there about, you know, not standing in the wings so people can see you. And all. But a lot of kids who go to drama school from, say, 16, maybe haven't done a lot of shows. Maybe they've done, you know, other things and kind of they start college it's like a training ground it's it you learn the ropes really quickly you have a two-week rehearsal if you're lucky and then you're doing two shows a day Absolutely. for an entire season it's um it's definitely a learning curve and it's it will probably be very missed for a lot of students this year 
Yeah. I've never been as shocked in my life as when I got the schedule for our um, <laughs> our panto rehearsals and went, oh, sorry, we're rehearsing the whole show and taking it in two weeks. What, are they mad? <laughs> I've never had, I mean, I'd done one of the, um, I'd done a couple of the 48 hour shows at the Palladium where you put everything in. But that's different because you're working with a hunt. You've got a cast of 130, so you've got a different block in each big number. Oh, but to do suddenly a car, a show, a panto where you've got a small cast compared to most musical. And what I love about Daryl's pantos is that they very much feel like a musical. Um, and you've got a smallish cast, and you've got two weeks to start from scratch <laughs> and present something brilliant. And I think that's what I love about it as well, because it makes your team gel so fast because you're like, right, guys, <laughs> we've got no choice but to get on and do this really well. <laughs> yeah, you because if you're not, you know, working with, say, the director or working with the musical director, you're off to the side going, OK, what the hell is the sequence yeah. going to run these lines because we are not going to get it. And you, you're having to build up a stamina so quickly mm. to be able to maintain all those shows. I love Ben Kennedy, who is the musical director, well, musical supervisor and arranger of our pantomime. Mm -hmm. But I, I remember texting him going, Ben, why the hell have you given me these songs? It's like singing top Bs at 11 o'clock in the morning. No, Ben, it's <laughs> pantomime twice a day. We're not doing it. And the, but like, you, you just have to get on with it and you have to yeah with it really quickly. And also because of that, like the young people, because we had some terrific graduates, they weren't even graduates, were they? And they were like second years at Lay. Yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah. Really, really talented and terrific people. But you could see their faces go, oh my God, the work, the work involved is so, and so for the fact that for most of them, that was their first professional job, it means that they're thrown in at the deep end and that therefore that work ethic will now go with them into every other job they do. That work ethic of, you've got two weeks to put on a show, it's got to be of the, uh, at a West End standard. And you've got to learn everything. You've got to be, and you've got to stay healthy. You can't go out drinking till three o'clock in the morning, guys, because you just can't, because you've got a show at 10 o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. And even, and you get those shows. We all know the shows we're talking about where actually all the audience are really young school groups and they're not going to get every joke. Mm. And they're not always going to be brave enough to clap or applaud or scream, but you've still got to give them the same show that you give the adult shows when you get, you know, a whole bunch of rowdy people, at, you know. Not if a bit not, more. If not a bit if more. If not more, more yeah, you have yeah. to go to them even more because it's so hard to get, you know. And, and now being a parent myself, I appreciate in a whole other way because Absolutely. small people need so much given to them to give stuff back. And I think I will appreciate Panto as a, as a mum now more than I ever did before I was a mum actually, because you kind of go, wow, it, it, that's why it takes so much stamina. It's because you have to go to them with 150% to get even vaguely 50% back. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And uh, I'm no. also not scared now to sing big songs in the morning for this. <laughs> I'm like, oh. I sang that song yeah. at 10 o'clock in the morning now. I can do it for an audition, do you know what I mean? And, yeah. Can we talk for a second, Rosanna, about uh, the part that Neil Bromley and Tony Casement wrote for you? Um, I've been, uh, since, I've kind of talked about the fact that your Princess Jasmine is um, was considerably different from what some people may see as a, a kind of a stereotypical um, princess in a panto. What was it like, um, you know, uh, playing... Uh, a part which had such strength. You you snogged him in before you'd even sang a song together, which is not something which happens in panto a lot. Yeah, I mean, we I... asked if that could be added in. <laughs> 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 
you yeah. specifically requested it, Paul Captain Side and was like, Cat, look, can you just can you just add in like just a quick little extra a little pack. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, to be honest with you, I I enjoyed it. I've never I'm not the princessy type as in a typecast. I wouldn't in normal life probably be cast as princess. So the fact that it was a little bit feistier and there were bits I could add a bit of comedy and a bit more character rather than being a typical um, girl next door vibe princess, which isn't necessarily me. So I quite enjoyed the fact that I could be a bit more, there were, there were those moments. And I think as well, how it was directed as well, like there were bits <laughs> where I didn't, there was, it wasn't directed for me to just be on the side, like little, little princess. It wasn't like that. It's like, so crucial though. To bring, wanted me to bring out mm. the fight. And when I was struggling to get out of the cage, it wasn't, please will you let me out? It was like trying to bring that side out of her that she's not just a princess. She's like, she's, she's a great role model for little girls as well. Uh, and that's, that's the one thing that I thought it, it, it had a lot of empowerment. And I know, Kat, you can probably talk a little bit more about this, but it, what I liked about the script, and yeah, I am bigging up Neil and Tony, not just because they're lovely guys, but they also write a good panto script. Um, and I don't know, I just, I, I felt like the script that we had at the Wyvern had quite a bit of edge. I think it has to, like, it, it frustrates me. Um, I mean, people who know me very well know that I go off on a rant on a regular <laughs> basis about, about seeing too often passive women Oh, yes. Um, it, it, it really frustrates me. And we're still seeing it on TV and in films. Yeah. And it, pe women who don't really speak <laughs> and are just there to look a certain way. Or, and I, I think, you know, at least 50% of your ch children's audience are girls who need to see something to look up to. And I'm not interested in telling a story where they're looking up to girls who are just going, I'm sorry, I'm just going to stand here until I get rescued by a handsome yeah. man. <laughs> like... But how ridiculous. Most women can save themselves, actually. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, and so I, and I th that's what I loved about that script. And I, I do think they wrote a, a brilliant bit of script. But also Rosanna brings to it such a natural sense of independence and strength and character. Like there was no there were times at which actually it was lovely that where our, our Aladdin was sort of, you know, looking to her for guidance. <laughs> Um, it's so refreshing to see that, and they and it felt like a real part. It felt like this was a couple who were a partnership, who were completely equal in every way. Even when you know when you were dancing, the choreography was was lovely because it never felt like she was just twirling around while a man held her. Do you know what I mean? Mm. <laughs> just, um, I, I, you know, I, I sort of would. I mean, I'll probably do myself out of work here, but I would probably refuse to work on any script that didn't allow for that because I just think it's really unhealthy for young girls to see that image. I think as well for me, like I didn't ever think that I would necessarily be cast as a princess. I always thought oh, when my agent told me that there was panto auditions, I was like, oh, who are you putting me up for? Like ugly sister or like the, <laughs> the, quirky, the quirky best friend. No, it's in like stepsister. Yeah. Or, the quirky, <laughs> as in like, or like Tinkerbell or like what a character, the witch or something like that, because usually the kind of parts I play are the more character roles. So when I was offered a princess, I was more shocked than anything, to be honest. I thought, okay, I could, this is my chance to, you know, play a different type of character, but also like, I work with kids every day. So I don't want, and it's nice. I don't look like a typical princess and I don't, act like one. Yeah. so it's quite 
and because I do work with kids and they a lot of them came to watch as well I wanted to I don't know it meant a little bit more because I never thought that would be a part that I'd be cast in I think I haven't played a princess since but (laughs) But I I think that what Kat was saying as well is that you may believe that you're not a typical princess of the ones that we've been shown from childhood you know the Disney princesses and some of them yeah they were feisty Jasmine was feisty in Disney's Aladdin um but you know they're still getting saved by the boy they're still and there's certain looks and certain uh things that we always see kind of recycled over and over and over with these female roles and that's not real life like what should a princess look like she doesn't have to look like anything she doesn't have to be anything she doesn't have to act like anything especially in a pantomime where you know the rules are bent and there's a tongue-in-cheekness and there yeah, of course. there's room to kind of do more and put more message across. Yeah, I yeah. find it slightly ridiculous that in a genre where it's okay for men to, women to be played by men and for, you know, um, the dames to exist, the princesses still have to adhere to a, I'm sorry, I have to be a size eight and blonde. <laughs> Like, respect to size eight blonde people. That's great. But don't we want to see something more representative of society generally? I'm not interested because for every blonde small girl out there, there's also a a small girl or boy out there going, actually, this doesn't relate to me. And so whenever you go and see a panto or any theatre for that matter, it should change it up. Or not all leads should look the same. And actually I I stand corrected slightly on my own point earlier and it's not just the little girls either who are watching this. Because I think as a a mother of a boy, I would want him to go to the theatre and also see strong women. Yeah, I, 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 I need my little boy to grow up to be a feminist because yeah. that's what we need the most is men who are fighting for women. <laughs> More so than the women to see the strong women, we need yeah. the men to yeah, see Yeah, because women, women already know that we're strong. We need the men to see <laughs> yeah, 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 I absolutely agree. Yeah. And also, I, I won't say the name, but there was I've had horror stories told to me by friends of mine who've auditioned for, you know, the Panto Princess yeah, yeah. and have been told they're too fat, bad teeth, they don't look, you know... And those are coming from really big panto producers. Mm. So we need to push against that. And we're talking about Rosanna as if she's a gargoyle. Rosanna, you are absolutely beautiful. (laughs) Gorgeous, she's lovely. Stop it. (laughs) But just so, just a lot more interesting (laughs) than just, you'll stop, you know, like, do I want all my panto princesses to look the same? No, Rosanna is beautiful because she's Rosanna. And mm. he's also a brilliant actress and, by the way, phenomenal vocalist. Mm. And so it shouldn't actually matter. When I'm watching a panto, I should be so blown away by someone's ability and their singing and the story and us telling the story well, that it shouldn't even cross my mind what they look like. It mm. just, especially in a panto where there are no rules. It goes, it goes back to what you said, Kat, about the fact that, you know, every child in the audience or everyone in the audience wants to find someone they can connect to and see you know, have that connection of, I I understand aspects of their personality, I understand aspects of who they are. And even uh, as wishy-washy and being a little bit of an idiot, I think it's, it's nice to have that connection and you, you see that people understand elements of your thinking, elements of your personality within that character. And, um, you know, I think that's really good writing as well as, you know, good directing. But the, I mean, you you flatter me, but um, actually, but also the role of wishy-washy in particular, and for example, Buttons in the Cinderella story, is that um, I think every child at some point 
feels that they themselves are the outsider. Hmm. And roles like wishy-washy and buttons, who are always slightly on the edge of it commenting, or, you know, they're, they're not the love interest and they're not the parent, they're not necessarily part of the family or, you know, I, that role is so, that's, you know, it's, it's the same reason why Wicked became the overnight sensation it did because every little girl sees in herself the green witch, the mm. one that's slightly different. That's a good point. Um, and so that role within Panto is so crucial because, you know, they're loyal and they're funny and they're everyone's friend, but they're not necessarily the you know the center of everything they're, they're a little bit on the periphery and i think that's really interesting and um sort of vital for children and also sit. because of that kind of character of he's everyone's friend he is really the go-to to yeah. break down between the audience and the what's happening on stage he's the hey do you want to be my mates and you know he's getting everyone on side ready to be entertained mm. get them in the mood get them in the panto place and then that makes our jobs a lot easier. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Used to watch you from the wings, just like smiling. Don't we? But it's weird, and isn't it? Because like, you start you start to miss characters like that. And I I I'm not afraid to say that I miss playing characters like that, especially you know this year, because it it does feel like you have a real connection every show. And I I think that is the magic when we were talking about you know, what you enjoy about pantomime, I think that's the one thing, particularly as someone like Wishy Washy, where you, you do have that, you have that every day, you have that twice a day, three times a day, where you get to have that connection. I want to move on slightly um, and talk about your Christmas traditions. So I'll give you a couple of seconds to have a think about it. Um, so Christmas traditions, maybe from being a child or Christmas traditions that you have now. Is there uh, anything in particular you want to share with our, all of our lovely listeners, um, including the ones in America? Um, but, um, <laughs> You know, uh, you think I, are really I'd special. Just like to take this moment to just say hello to America. <laughs> hi, hi, America, and can I just congratulate you all on your recent? Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah we all, thank you, America. You follow in your footsteps shortly. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, let's please, start. Please let's please start go. with Rosanna. Rosanna, any um, any traditions that you have in the festive period? Uh huh. Your first. Um. <laughs> <laughs> um Actually, to be honest with you, I never used to celebrate Christmas when I was little. I used to do Hanukkah. Yeah. Um, and then gradually, I went more and more Christmas, and it became Christmaker. <laughs> and then now, I, some people argue that it's Hanukkahmas. I disagree. Christmaker sounds so much better. It does. And now, I'm full on Christmas. So, how much can change in 28 years? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. like Crimbo now, but I even though when I used to do Hanukkah, it was all a bit odd because we'd light the Hanukkah candles, but then 100% carrots for the reindeer, mm. all, all that kind of thing, and the presents on Christmas. So I was always a bit confused, like, what are we doing here, Mum? <laughs> and then gradually it became more Christmas because all, most of my friends, 95% of my friends are all Christmas. And to be honest with you, anything to do with getting all the family together and just having a nice family meal, we were all fully up for it. And that's more of a Christmas thing than it is a Hanukkah thing. It's nothing on Hanukkah, just like candle. It's not bringing the whole family and friends and everyone together and that kind of thing. So my whole family kind of is a very let's celebrate kind of family. And 
now I'm full on Christmas. But nice. I always used to do the, the carrot for the reindeer and that kind of thing anyway. <laughs> but it was like candle and a carrot at the same time. <laughs> I love it. Kat, are you somebody who gets up really, really early on Christmas morning? I mean, now I am. I have a small psychopath who wakes I mean, up every day, every morning. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love him, but Psycho wants to wake up. Also, I mean, we had a bit of a clocks change disaster, so he no longer, but he sleeps pretty well, so we're good. Um, now, I guess my Christmas traditions are I mean lots of food it's really food orientated I'm a real foodie my husband's a real foodie um and it's always been about I'm sorry did I just make a budum sound no it's good it's good <laughs> um that'll be um one message the one <laughs> like, oh a friend um <laughs> they're listening to the podcast yeah <laughs> so uh so yeah, lots of food. We always traditionally, my mum was always the host um, and we have a big family, a big farming tradition family. And so we'd have 18, 19, 20 of us around when I was little on Christmas Day. So it was a really big event and everyone would gather and we'd open presents first and then eat um, and then do more presents and then eat some more. And then um, games. And I've, I've brought games into my adulthood. I'm a massive board game geek. Um, me and my husband spent, I mean, now we have a small child and we don't go out anymore and we're literal social pariahs. We, um, <laughs> we, we literally spend most evenings just playing a board game and I absolutely love it. My mum's Christmas log is the one thing that will go on forever. It's a chocolate log thing that she makes out of sponge and cream and puts a little robin on the top and dusts it with icing sugar. Nice. And it, that will stay with me till the day I die and I will pass that recipe on to my children. Child, should just say child. That's a moment. I've said it now. America know about it, and therefore. I have to... Oh God. <laughs> um, and uh, the other tradition, but I think we are gradually going to probably change the. In that, I have to admit, not a turkey fan. No. It's always a bit dry and a bit rubbish. Oh. Last year we had family here because it was my son Baker's first um, first Christmas. So we had all the families here so that we didn't have to choose which grandparent to go to. Um, wise. <laughs> Just a word to the wise. If you have a child, get yeah. everyone to come to you. Otherwise they'll be like, no, but I want to see him. Um, they're not like that at all. God, they're going to listen to this and think I hate them. Grandparents in America. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but well, last year we did a five bird roast and we made it ourselves. What? We actually put together what I can't remember what we had. What did we have? We had a, a partridge. A, well, it was a goose on the outside and then chicken, pheasant, duck and partridge. Oh, and we wow. sewed it all together ourselves and put stuffing in the middle and it was just the best thing. Wow. Um, so I think food going forward, we will probably create our own food traditions because we are a very food orientated family and I can't wait to start new traditions with our son once he has a blooming mm. clue what's going on I mean he's clueless you know 21 <laughs> months old he's clueless he's got no idea but he will get to choose stuff he will Adam um the one that sticks out for me that we still do now even though you know I'm 31 and I'm the baby um <laughs> is we watch the snowman every single Christmas Eve Aww. And it's the last thing we do, and then we go to sleep. Um, things have changed in the last few years. Uh, my dad lives in a really small studio, so we don't, like, stay over anymore because I'm not about sleeping on the floor anymore. I'm too old. <laughs> and so me and my sister usually get, like, an Airbnb now. So now it's kind of changed to watch the snowman, drive to the Airbnb, go to sleep. Um, 
we're also massive foodies. There's a lot of things around food, although I've put a span in the works because I've now been vegetarian for three years. Mm-hmm. So my dad, every Christmas... <laughs> my five-third row story will have gone down well. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not one of those vegetarians. I'm one of, the, one of the vegetarians who appreciates all the things I used to eat. And I'm like, yeah, you go, girl, five-thirds. Um, <laughs> But my dad now sends these like panicked Christmas texts on the lead up being like, so do you want nut roast? What kind of milk do you drink? And he like really, and I'm like, to be honest, you do like 14 different types of veg. I'm probably good with that. You don't need to get anything else to add to the vegetarian thing. There's a lot of veg. Um, So yeah, my dad always cooks the Christmas dinner. He now cooks it in whatever Airbnb my sister have, me and my sister have. And uh, we always do stockings, even though mm. we're very old. We do like a small stocking for each other. And- Oh, dad sent you advent. Didn't you say something like he, every year he sends you an advent calendar? Yeah, he does. He that still is, sends me an advent calendar. I remember when you got yeah, it, it post, I literally remember that so clearly because you were like, oh, my, the annual advent calendar for my dad. And I was like, that's so cute. Yeah, my so I usually end up with two because my dad always sends one in the post and then my nan always used to send one in the post. My lovely nan passed away last December. So um, this year we just got the one, which is a good thing. <laughs> Don't need to. So I've got a couple of quick fire questions. You can only answer it with one or two words, all right? Exactly. I can't do one or two All right. <laughs> Gary, you've chosen the wrong people. You've chosen the wrong people for they're, a quick fire round. They're, they're, really, they're really, really simple. You've got to, you've got to go with your first impulse. So I'll start with Rosanna. Uh, shall I? No, I'll start. I'll start with Adam. I'll start with Adam. Uh, your favorite, your favorite Christmas movie. Go. Uh, Muppets Christmas Carol. Love it, Cat. What was the question? I missed it. Favorite Christmas movie. Oh. um... Oh God, I don't watch Christmas movies. Oh, The Holiday. The yes. Holiday. And Rosanna, The Holiday. The Holiday. And Love Actually. I like uh, both. Oh, if... you see, I have a feminist issue with that, but let's go. Why? So do I. Although I've watched it so many I, times. I love it. I love this it. This is and quick I fire, guys. Let's stick with The Holiday. Sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry, sorry, sorry. The Holiday, The Holiday, go. Um, the one Christmas or wintertime snack you couldn't live without. Uh, let's start with Kat. Turkish Delight. Adam? Um, mince pies with baby's cream. Oh, Rosanna. Chocolate, full stop. Very nice. <laughs> um, mince pies are the devil's food. Just throwing that in there. Oh, please. <laughs> Your yeah, favourite Christmas carol? Let's start with Christmas carol. Uh, Adam? Anything sung by Mariah Carey in the 90s? Very nice. It's not Rosanna. carol. Well, uh, yeah, that's she a did Christmas a whole Christmas song. album, so don't come for me. Oh, it's not a carol. Um, it's uh, it's <laughs> all carols I want to go for. <laughs> Rosanna? Okay, so for me, it's like Mean Girls, mean girls Jingle Bell Rock version. <laughs> <laughs> all I want for Christmas is you, Mariah Carey. I don't do carols. <laughs> and Kat? I'm sorry, can I just say, I'm horrified <laughs> these are your carol choices. Also, this is really aging me. And my 40, my grand 42 years of age, I'm like, children, come on, choose a carol. <laughs> it's, and also, it's clearly in the bleak midwinter, the Holst version. Oh, I was going to say Good King Wenceslas, but there we go. Mean Girls Jingle Bell Rock. Do no, I know it, but it's I know it's not a carol. Not a carol. <laughs> it, that's a Christmas song. Um, oh, here's a really hard one for you. Your favourite pantomime story. Um, yeah, that, the looks on everybody's faces, they're like, oh my God. Uh, Kat, your favourite story? 
Aladdin, because they were all so beautiful in it that I've got wonderful memories. <laughs> Adam? Aladdin, because we were all so beautiful in it, I've got wonderful memories. <laughs> Let's try it, Rosanna. Adam, because I got to kiss Adam every day. <laughs> but also, in all seriousness, Cinderella, because she has that amazing transformation into the ball gown. And it, it I mean, I know it goes against all my feminist ideals, but <laughs> who doesn't want to be a princess that has an amazing ball gown on? Yeah, but also the tech of that is just... I know, oh. the text. No, I didn't so want to direct it. I never want to direct Cinderella. <laughs> I just oh. like it. Yeah, Gary, indeed. I've got a good quickfire question. Can I ask it? Of course you can. Sprouts, yes or no? Oh. No. Adam. Yes. No. 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 Absolutely. Adam's right. Sprouts every day with bacon and soy sauce. That's the way to eat it. Oh, I, I know what it was. Um, when you were in the school nativity, um, what did you play when you were at school? Rosanna? It was in the background, I think. Oh. Didn't really do that much in that. Oh. I was, you know, I didn't. Blossom yet? I hadn't blossomed yet. Cat. Uh, <laughs> um, I did it twice, I believe, and on one occasion I was Mary, and then the other I was the narrator. I love it. Early acting ability—that's all I'm giving it. Wow. And Adam, <laughs> I was Joseph. Of course you were. Well, you should be Joseph and his amazing Technicolor dream coat. That's what I always think of you, Adam. You really should. Have you not done that job? (laughs) I've never even auditioned for it. Have you not? I auditioned for it back in the day. Got recalled to play the narrator, then realised I couldn't belt an E. I can now. I couldn't when I was 20. (laughs) So if anybody's looking for a narrator for Joseph. If anyone's looking for a narrator and wants a 42-year-old director who hasn't been on stage for 12 years, find a girl. And then got to the final and didn't get it. Woo! Oh, we've all got we've got to the final and didn't get it stories. Can we share yeah. those? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so ready, let's go. What are you still on hold for? Yeah. yeah oh my god, so still much. Penciled. Yeah. <laughs> Who's still hard penciled for about 32 commercials? <laughs> <laughs> now, my final question. Firstly, thank you very much for all being here. It's been so lovely to see you all. Um, is is kind of it's it's a twofold question so we'll, we'll start with part one um part one is do you have a new year's resolution for 2021 and if you don't what is your hope for 2021 so i'm going to go with the person who looks most ready for this question and i think that's cat Oh, I don't, why? I see. I should be a better actor. <laughs> <laughs> I thought no. my head away from the screen. I was like, <laughs> um, so um, New Year's resolutions. I sort of, I sort of. Oh, I don't know ever whether to make them or not because I sort of feel like I should be getting to the point in my life where I'm sort of acting out a New Year's resolution on a daily basis and not just like. Because also the thing with the New Year's resolution is you say something really rash at midnight and then you it. By the 2nd of January, it's gone. Mm. I'd probably, I mean, I should drink less next year because I don't know about anyone else, but lockdown is like... And also, I'm a new parent. So it's all about the wine just to get through the day. Um, uh, I And my hope for next year genuinely is that we need to see some recovery in the arts. Um, it's just been an awful year. I'd also really hope for a general election so we can get rid of these idiots. Uh, <laughs> um, and I think I speak for all of us because we're all probably very, 
yeah. very dissatisfied with the way in which our, our profession's been. I think we're just not taken seriously as a profession at the moment. No. My hope is that we are taken seriously and I'd like to see some more people. I'd like to see some friends and spend good time with them. And that's probably my New Year's resolution is to make sure that next year, knowing what it's like to not be able to see people, I want to make proper time to see people and really talk to them and um, break some bread with people. Lovely. Rosanna? I definitely agree as well. I think as well, one one other small good thing for me that's come out of this year is I haven't put as much pressure on myself as I normally do. Because I always feel like, oh God, I have to have pressure on my agent and I need to make sure I've got an audition to do this and I have to get a job or this, this, that and the other. And because of what's been going on, I haven't put myself under that pressure because I felt like, look, this is what's going on. I, you know, there's nothing I can really do about it. And as I've been more relaxed in everything else to do with my life because I haven't had that pressure. So I think next year, hoping that theatre comes back with a bang, which it will, I'm going to try and take that on board that, look, whatever, you can still, you know, push yourself and work hard, but I'm not going to put as much pressure on myself because I'm so much more relaxed as a person and I have so much more time for other things and seeing friends and everything when I'm not putting that pressure on myself. So I'm going to aim for that. Nice. Adam? Um, I came across this the other day. I was going through my notes and deleting things and I saw my New Year's resolutions for last year, which could not be... uh, (laughs) I I couldn't do them. Like, basically everything I've put just could not be done the way I wanted it to. So my first one was go home more and stay in touch with family. Well, we've all been locked in our houses. <laughs> that didn't happen, um, but there's hope for next year. Um, my second one, which I've wanted to do for ages, is see a therapist. I've wanted to go to therapy for such a long time. And I was like, right, 2020, the year I'm gonna like get into therapy. And then just didn't happen because I didn't have any money. And my third one, Gary, you'll know about this uh, because I spoke to you briefly on it. 2020, I was going to take a slight detour in my career and I wanted to start my directing journey pathway. And that's something I've wanted to do for a long time as well. And I was like, right, 2020, I'm, uh, it was the first time I'd extended in a show in a contract I was in. So it was going into my second year of Mormon and I said, right, okay, do the show in the evening and then during the day, get into colleges, get into schools, direct things, associate, uh, not associate, um, assist on different things and just kind of like get my feet wet in that way. And again, it was just something that was not, you know, feasible this year. So I'm going to repeat those three. <laughs> nice. And see what happens. I can I recommend it. the third one. That was my news of resolution 10, 10, 15 years ago and I haven't looked back. Really? <laughs> there we go. I remember me, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I won't go into directing and try and, you know, try and get in there. <laughs> well, um, what a pleasure it's been to speak to you all. I guess the one thing, it's almost like Jerry Springer's final thought, um, is that it's lovely to talk to uh, friends who felt like family and do feel like family, especially when you do things like pantomime. Um, And I think this time of year is all about um, reconnecting with people who are important to you. And especially in the theatre world, you know, we're going through a, um, a rather difficult time at the moment. So wherever you're listening, um, do bear in mind that in 2021, we'll still be here. And we'll still be doing our creative thing. And we do, I, I, I know I speak on behalf of all of us, 
actively encourage you, come and buy a ticket, come and buy a gift voucher. Uh, make sure that you're ready to come and see, hopefully, some of us either directing or in Panto next year. Um, you know, make that part of your 2021 to come and see us a little bit more because Behind the Pros as a podcast is all about stories about theatre and theatre people. And the only way that we keep the stories going is by people buying tickets and keeping us in jobs. Thank you very much to Catherine Hare, Adam Bailey, Rosanna Harris. I have one last question for you all. What was the present that you wanted for Christmas as a child but you never got? I'll tell you what mine was. Um, I always wanted a Hornby railway set. Um, I don't know why. Even into my teens, I was like, that's something I really want. I think it'd be really, really cool. Um, and it wasn't until I was about 25 that uh, my girlfriend at the time got me one. Um, so, I, so I would stop banging on about it, to be honest. Um, so there you go. Uh, Rosanna, anything that you really wanted? And uh, maybe Santa Claus could get it for you this year? Don't think Santa Claus is getting me this year and I really don't want it anymore. I wanted a fire engine or something. <laughs> oh, <laughs> lovely. Apparently, when I was little, I was like, I want a fire engine. I want it to go nino nino all the time for about three years. And my mum was like, I can't get you a fire engine. I don't want one now, obviously. Really don't want one anyway, obviously. <laughs> but that's Love it. it. I mean, this is so stereotypical, but I wanted a horse. <laughs> Daddy, I want a pony. I know. And I never, I never, the thing is, I lived on a farm, so it was actually feasible. <laughs> okay, fine. But instead, um, my dad had 600 pigs that couldn't get one blooming horse. <laughs> 600 pigs? Oh my God. Yeah. What would you when have called it? Pig farm. What would its name have been, Kat? Ruskin. Oh. I had, so, <laughs> side note. I had a fake horse made out of two straw bales with a proper saddle on it, and I made him food out of water and flour and fed him every day and brushed his straw oh. with a brush, and he was called Ruskin. And the reason he was called Ruskin was because I had a bookmark with a quote by Ruskin. I didn't realise who Ruskin was. I love it. And uh, Adam? Um, I was um, a very lucky child. My family were, did not have a lot of money, but we always really... Uh, we got spoiled at Christmas. That was the one time of year, you know, my dad especially, he would just kind of go above and beyond. There was one thing that I didn't get one Christmas, but I don't think I asked for it. I was very young. Uh, I, I must have been five or six, I think. And I was obsessed with the film The Little Mermaid, just absolutely obsessed with it. But I didn't, you know, get uh, a doll of it for Christmas because, you know, back in those times, you wouldn't get a boy, uh, a doll like that. And I remember I used to, I had a flannel that was red like her hair. And I used to play with it in the bath as if she was like swimming. And it was terrible because I used to like use it in the bath and then go to bed and put it on my bed and my whole bed would be soaking wet from this wet flannel. And then I woke up on Christmas morning and I had a Little Mermaid doll in its place. Aww. Oh, stop it. I love oh, it. come on. That is just too adorable. I know. What an incredible happy ending. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Have a wonderful Christmas. That's and a happy new year. I don't think I know this one. Merry Christmas, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye. Merry Woo! Christmas, Merry everyone. Christmas. I love that we're all waving. Why are we waving? <laughs> <laughs>
Behind the Pross is a podcast hosted by Anchor at anchor.fm forward slash Behind the Pross. A big thanks to Itan Epstein Music and Jared Page of Stagey Pagey. If you wish to donate to the cause, paypal.me forward slash Gary Jerry and any inquiries about the podcast, behindthepross at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time. <laughs>